Welcome to another chapter on our series, Looking Unto Jesus. Today I'm going to be reading from a, a well-known 17th century author by the name of William Bates. And um, he says some things here that are so important with regard to our understanding of the gospel and our preaching of the gospel. It's one of my favorite quotes. Now the doctrine of the gospel excels the most noble sciences as well contemplative as practical. It affects the soul with the highest admiration. The strongest spirits cannot comprehend its greatness. The understanding sinks under the weight of glory. The apostle who had seen the light of heaven and had such knowledge as never any man before, yet upon considering one part of the divine wisdom, breaks forth in astonishment. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his decrees and his ways past finding out. Romans 11.33 It is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of this excelling object and are at the end of our subtlety to supply the defects of our understanding with admiration. As the psalmist expresses himself, Lord, how wonderful are thy thoughts to usward. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, knowing that even the tenth part of what is revealed about him in the scriptures has not been comprehended by the greatest minds that his glory, his majesty, his beauty goes infinitely beyond the greatest minds of angels and men. Father, I pray for those who are listening, especially Christ's ministers, that they would be encouraged to give themselves to the study of Christ and to the preaching of Christ a subject that cannot be exhausted, that cannot be exaggerated. Oh, dear God, help us to see the beauty of Christ and to communicate it to your people that they may be set on fire, not with trivial matters or silly passions, but with knowing Christ, your Son. Lord, give us hearts that have a special love for him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to take this passage line by line and just, just look at it for a moment. Now, the doctrine of the gospel exceeds the most noble sciences. Um, there was a time in, uh, in the world in which theology, especially theology proper, was considered the queen of all sciences. And, and the idea here is not science, as maybe you may think about it, but knowledge that the greatest knowledge one can possess is the knowledge of God. And within the knowledge of God, the greatest subject is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's there that, that we see a picture of God, the attributes of God in perfect harmony, the glory of God in its highest degree in the gospel, and especially the gospel's cross. So he says, now the doctrine of the gospel exceeds the most noble 
sciences. L- let me say this. Let me let me add this that there is no need for the preacher to go outside of the gospel, to go outside of the gospel to find a a subject worth preaching on. A man who has a right understanding of the importance, the glory of the gospel, will realize he could spend his entire life preaching John 3:16 every moment of every day and never be able to exhaust the glory of that passage. And we have betrayed our art when we feel like we have to go outside of Scripture to have something to say to God's people. Or that we can take a theme that does not have Christ as its center. So it says, now the doctrine of the gospel excels the most noble sciences as well contemplative as practical. So many times when when people talk about the Puritans, naysayers will say things like, well, it's just all about thought and it's all about contemplation. And, and, And what you need to see is theology is about thought. It's about contemplation. It's about truth that must be comprehended with the mind. But, but true theology will affect everything in us, every fiber of our being. It will affect every thought, every attitude, every disposition, every work. And not only that, but it will motivate us to do the will of God. It is contemplative. And if I could say anything to the American minister, it would be we need to be more contemplative, more time in our study, so that when we do open our mouths, the gospel comes out. And yet, in this contemplation, we find the strength to do the practical things to change the world. So he says, now the doctrine of the gospel excels the most noble sciences as well contemplative as practical. It affects the soul with the highest admiration. Now, what does this mean? Uh, I've talked about this a bit, but it's worthy of, of repetition. And it is this. How do we grow in our love for God? How do we grow in our zeal for the things of God? Well, the more we see the beauty of God revealed to us, if we are born again, if our hearts have been regenerated, the more we see of the glory and beauty of Christ, the more it will draw out our affections and those affections will drive us please him, to do his will, to care for his people. So again, contemplative and practical. Now, here's one of my favorite parts, and we must not overlook this. The strongest spirits cannot comprehend its just greatness. Now, you would think that he would put here the the brightest spirits or the most intelligent spirits cannot comprehend its greatness. But he says the strongest spirits cannot comprehend its just greatness. And and what I have you ever uh, maybe in the morning seen a, a sunrise or in the evening a sunset or something in the sea, the oceans that has been so beautiful that you said it it took your breath away. Here in the gospel, we have a beauty so great that if it was revealed to the mind of the Christian in its fullness, as we are right now, I think it would explode our minds. It would make us imbecilic. It would would, um, send us beyond ourselves. 
I believe that, that when we get to heaven, one of the reasons for the transformation that is required is that the beauty and the excellency and the glory of God in Christ would literally disintegrate us. So it's not just that we have to be intelligent enough to comprehend it, but we have to be strong enough to be able to, to behold such beauty and it not make us undone. Not make us undone. Just, just think about what's waiting for us. Something that is waiting for us, but we do not necessarily have to wait for it. Because every day we can grow in our knowledge of God. And the more that we do in that contemplation, the more it will impact every aspect of us, especially our preaching. You draw near to Christ and your congregation will see a man on fire. Let's go on. The understanding of the human mind sinks under the weight of glory. You, you find a, a good story and you pick up the book and you realize it is a wonderful story. And then as you come towards the end of the book, you, you have something of a dread in your heart because you know the story's going to end and the characters that you love, you're not going to hear from them anymore. And, and there's, a, there's a finality and with that finality brings something of a sorrow. But to think that our time with Christ will be without end. But to think that the glory of Christ without end. And that there will be discovery after discovery after discovery. So that he says the understanding sinks under the weight of glory. Have you ever been in your study? O oh, minister of Christ. Have you ever been in your study and literally wore yourself out in finding and discovering new and glorious and weighty things about our God. Now he says the apostle, of course, the apostle Paul, who had seen the light of heaven and had such knowledge as never any man before, yet upon considering one part of the divine wisdom, breaks forth in astonishment. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his decrees and his ways past finding out. Romans 11.33 You know, the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and never forget, sufficient. But you do see the man himself, the writer himself, in the words that are written. And when you go to, let's say, Ephesians chapter 1, or you get into maybe Romans 5, 12 on, it, it seems that, that Paul is dealing with subjects so great and so mighty that it, it's almost as though he becomes exasperated. It's, his sentences must continue and continue and continue. Why? There's just so much to say. And isn't it amazing that you and I haven't even begun to comprehend the glory that's there. And yet the glory that we do know, when we try to preach it, we find that there's just no words. No matter which language you choose, there's just not enough words or adequate words to describe the glory of Christ. Now we go on and he says... It is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of excelling objects. Just look at that. 
This is, imagine this, this is a man alone in his study with the scriptures. He may have other books and, and things around him. He may have out his Greek lexicon or his Hebrew lexicon or, or other commentaries. And look, look what he's doing. Look, look what it says here. It says, It is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of excelling, of this excelling object. Oh, listen, to preach well. You must, you must study well. And you must pray well. And, and even though there ought to be some order in our sermons, that is true, because Scripture themselves, the Scriptures have order. And yet people should almost see us there, desperate, grasping for words, that this story goes beyond the, the words that are required for normal stories. Nothing seems to work. The subject is just too great. And so we pour ourselves out in study and we pour ourselves out in preaching, saying, oh, I want you to know. I want you to see what I see, know what I know, that you can be enthralled by it, captivated by it. And he says, it is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of this excelling object and are at the end of our subtlety. Again, that, that we've used every nuance, every metaphor, every illustration. And at the end, we have to say, we have failed. Because the glory we are called upon as ministers of Christ to describe goes far beyond what the greatest talents um, are capable of. And then he goes on. And he says, it is fit when we have spent the strength of our minds in the consideration of this excelling object and are at the end of our subtlety to supply the defects of our understanding with admiration. There comes a time when the preacher, I've seen this, especially in the old school preachers, where all of a sudden they just stop preaching. And they just weep. Or they just raise their hands and worship. As one poet said, give up on your pondering and just fall down on your knees. Brethren, ministers of Christ. If we would just take more time to pursue it, pursue it. There is so much more glory out there. But it's found. Alone. With him. In the word, in prayer, remember, we must be men of the people. We must love God's people. But if we truly love them, the greatest thing we can be for them is, first of all, men of God. And he goes on. As the psalmist expresses himself, Lord, how wonderful are thy thoughts to usward. Now, I've written something here in, in conclusion. I just want to add. And I, I keep this near me as a reminder. The writer and the preacher are prone to fail. Yea, they are even destined to fail. Because the subject of the discourse is beyond the minds and words of men and angels. Even when the preacher has spent his strength in study 
and poured out his soul in prayer and exhausted himself in the pulpit, he must step down with bowed head, knowing that the half, the tenth part, has not been told. Oh, the the blessedness and the terror of preaching, the promise of preaching and the weakness of preaching, not because preaching in itself is weak. It's just that the subject is so wonderful. I, I think I've said this before, but Many times, you know, Spurgeon, just every line, it seems, is about Christ. But in some of his sermons, he would. uh, He was going to to tackle something especially glorious about the cross, and it seems like he would always begin with what I guess I could call a preacher's apology. That he knew. He was going to fail. Because the theme was too great. Oh, brothers, ministers of Christ, preachers. Spend much time mining the treasures of God's word. Not so that you can hoard them for yourself. But so that you can give them. To the bride of Christ. As she makes her journey, her long journey to her beloved. Maybe she's going to become confused. Discouraged. Waver in her confidence. Every time you see that look on her face. Give her a jewel from her beloved to remind her. What is waiting Who is waiting for her? Well, God bless and remain steadfast in the scriptures and pray. And remember, this is why we should also read very old books. God bless you.